Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, March 27th, 2022. Today's sermon is on cancel culture. If you would like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermon link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. I received a little bit of advice this morning from a couple of people in my house. I've told several of you already that Emerson wanted to make sure that I was dressed appropriately. She, I said, she said she wanted me to wear a shirt and tie and a coat. I said, well, can I just wear the shirt and coat? And she says, no, Daddy. You have to have on a tie. So being wrapped around her finger like I am, I have on a tie this morning. Jennifer told me to remember to smile, <laughs> which prompted Garrison to ask, you did brush your teeth, right? <laughs> And Carson gave the best advice of all. He said, Dad, just don't mess up. Don't mess up. Don't mess up. So I'll try to do all those things this morning. Most importantly, I'll try not to mess up. So anyway, good morning. Uh, Welcome to everybody. Uh, Glad to be here. Obviously not Pastor John. Don't do that again. But um, let's open up with the word of prayer this morning. Father, we just come to you this morning, Father, and um, Father, I'm thankful to be able to, to, to stand up here, Father, and, and, and proclaim your word, Father. I, I admit to you, Lord, that, that I'm nervous, Father, that, that Father, you would help me with that, that you would take those nerves away, Father, that, um, that Father, you would just uh, help me to say the things that are true, the things, the things that, that, that you've given me, Father, to say, and, and Father, that those things would be well received, Father, and if there's anything that I say that's an error, Father, that that those things um, would not be remembered, Father, but but only those things that are from you. Father, just uh, give us this time. Help us to open our hearts. Help us to glorify you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so normally we go through a book of the Bible and we're moving through it that way. We're expository, right? I get the pulpit, so I get to choose what we do. We're going to talk about a topic. We're going to do something a little different. So, Today I want to talk about cancel culture. Um, By show of hands, who has heard of cancel culture? Okay, that's almost everybody. Who is concerned with the way cancel culture may affect the church? Again, pretty much everybody. So let me first off state, I know that this topic... could get pretty political, and I'm going to stray far away from that this morning. Um, as, as fact, as I move forward, what I hope you understand is we should be more concerned about how the church is perceived in our role in cancel culture than the way we're treated as the church. So what I want to do is juxtapose the Christian culture with cancel culture. So, Greg, before we get along too far, we have to define some terms. Cancel culture. So what is that? So for purposes of today's discussion, let's define it as follows. It's a form of ostracism in which someone or a group is removed from social or professional circles, whether it be online or in person, for views, opinions, statements, etc., that are contrary to the views, opinions, statements of another, often without recourse or way to end the ostracism, usually with the intention that the ostracism is purchased. 
Those who those subject to cancel culture are referred to as canceled. So let me kind of boil that down. When we have differing viewpoints, we tend to push those people who have those viewpoints away. That's our nature as, as people. But in common culture, popular culture right now, there's a, there's a move towards doing that more and more, especially with people who have more conservative viewpoints, have Christian viewpoints, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, and the problem with this is that there's no way to come back for it. There's no way to be redeemed from it. There's, there's, there's really no recourse to that action. So that's, that's how, when we talk about cancel culture today, that's what I want you to think about. So why should the church be concerned with cancel culture? So I propose that there's two main reasons why we should be concerned. And I think the first is fairly obvious. Um, and that's the possibility that the church or its members are canceled because of a Christian viewpoint that we hold. And I'll admit to you that when I started to put this message together, that was really the only viewpoint that I was considering, was how, how the church itself is affected by cancel culture. Um, but again, I, as we move forward, I, I hope we kind of turn that tide and look at that a little differently. So why should we be concerned with cancel culture? So obviously our church holds several viewpoints that are contrary to current popular opinion, including those like marriage is the union of a man and a woman. Not very popular today. Homosexuality is wrong. Not a very popular viewpoint in culture today. Sexual relations before marriage is wrong. Not very popular today. Pornography is wrong. Not very popular today. Abortions and murder. Not very popular today. And here's one. Jesus is the only way by which a person could be saved. Not very popular today in our, in our do-good culture and do-what-feels-good culture. But this is just a sample of viewpoints contrary to popular opinion. But part of the point of this is that this list grows every day. It's not static. What was right to yesterday is not necessarily right tomorrow. We, we, we don't know where this is going or, or even how to react from the popular worldview because of this constant change. Because of these views, our church and any member who is brave enough to state them publicly are subject to being canceled. This canceling may very well cause Christians and the church to lose access to platforms we use to spread the gospel. It's going to make it harder for us to tell other people how to come to Christ. To, to, to speak our, to speak, not our truth, that's a, that's a worldly term, to speak the truth in the world. Further, I think any of us that have a job outside the home are keenly aware of the cancel culture with regards to popular opinion. I just went through six hours required by my company for training on unconscious bias, non-discrimination, acceptance of others in the workplace. And what is clear from that training is that it's not, the, it's not our viewpoint that's the one that's supposed to be tolerated. It's clear that non-Christian viewpoints like homosexuality, transgenderism, alternate family structures are the ones that are to be accepted 
but we're to keep our mouth shut as, as we're in popular culture today. Not only that, but to violate those things in our job could cause us to lose it. We could lose our livelihood over this. And I'm not trying to paint a, a fear picture, but I mean, the, these, are, these are things that are going on in society at the moment. So the, and, and these are just a couple examples of, of how cancel culture can affect our, 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 our culture. But we have some good news. And that's that this is not the first time the church has faced these issues. It's been going on forever. From the beginning, the church faced opponents and obstacles. In fact, Jesus even warned us of that. Uh, John 15, 18 through 21, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Jesus promised it was going to happen. This passage clearly shows that those who Christ has chosen out of the world to not be of the world will be hated. Yeah, that word hated is in there, just as Christ was hated. Further, we know the history of the church, the martyrdom of the disciples, all except for John, and the murder of the early Christians. It proves this passage is true. Again, this canceling of of. of Christians and, and, our, and, our, and our thoughts is not new. But even now, as we enjoy a relatively easy Christian existence here in America, that's not even the case all across the globe. There's many countries right now where the Christian church has to be underground because the, um, the government doesn't allow it to be open. And perhaps even now we are entering a time where we may begin to experience more resistance than we have previously. So that kind of summarizes the first concern. Obviously, you know, we, we should be concerned that we may be canceled and that, um, you know, that our, we may not be able to openly speak about our viewpoints moving forwards. But I mentioned that there was another angle, and I didn't initially consider this one. And that's that the world thinks Christians deserve to be canceled because we canceled the world first. So let me state that one more time. The world, the world agrees it's okay to cancel Christians because Christians also cancel the world. Now, that's not a view that I agree with, but I started reading articles as I was studying for this, for this things like, and, and listen, listen, to, listen to this article's um, title very carefully. Evangelicals perfected cancel culture. Now it's coming for them. And that was like a gut punch. Do people really believe it's the intent of the church to cancel them? It said we perfected it. Not that we started it. Not that we were good at it. The Christian church was perfect at it. We got really, really, really good at it. So I, certain, I certainly don't believe that. I don't think any of you believe that either. But if that's the perception, then we have to think about it. We have to think about how does the world 
view us as Christians and how we act. So I did begin to contemplate when were there times when maybe the church hasn't acted appropriately. You know, some of the first ones that came to mind were the Crusades, the Salem Witch Trials. Those were, those were some pretty bad times in history. There's, there's not much worse way to cancel your enemies than to kill them. <laughs> but then I thought of more, more things that has happened closer. So I remember my uncle telling me of the way members of a church had asked people not to come back if they dressed a certain way. Hey, if you can't wear a dress or you can't wear a suit or if you're going to do this, you're not welcome here. We've done, we, not we, Grace Baptist Church, but we, the church, have done that. I remember how certain churches have treated divorced people and they've ostracized them. Jennifer and I have missionary friends that had their support pulled by a church because they didn't like the version of a Bible verse that they posted on their website. And this one's a little comical, but I think it, ought, it, it really sums it up. I clearly remember the day that one of the, quote, evangelists at NC State chased a girl across the courtyard yelling, You Jezebel! You whore! Because he did not like how shorter shorts were. That's the way to win them over, guys. You chase them. You call them names. And we did that as the church as a whole. So, yeah, I, I, I think the church, not the church, the world has, has a reason to think the church has participated in cancel culture at times. So my thoughts changed a little bit there, or corrected, I'd say. And I think our focus needs to be less on how we're affected by cancel culture, not that that's not important, but how can we be different from cancel culture if we're to least reach the lost among us? We can't act like that if we want people to see a difference in us. So along these lines, I want to contrast a couple tenets of cancel culture and our Christian values. Kind of, this is what cancel culture says, this is what our values are, and this is, this is how you know, we need to portray ourselves if we want to look different than the world. And I got three of those. So the first is cancel culture cancels those with differing viewpoints. Cancel culture relies on ostracizing those with different viewpoints. At its core is the belief that those with differing views should be pushed away from the group. But how is the church to reach the lost in the world if we push away all those that don't share our viewpoints? Although we disagree with their viewpoints and, and we're not going to compromise our beliefs, the things that we hold true, to move towards theirs, we must draw in those people with different viewpoints to earn opportunity to present the gospel. And Greg, I'm going where you went this morning. How did, how did, Jesus, how did Jesus treat those people? What did, who, who did Jesus hang around with? So let's consider Jesus' ministry. When we examine who Jesus spent the most time ministering to, it was those who were labeled as outcasts, the lepers, the blind, the lame, those who were pushed out of, the, out, of the, um, out of the city. One of his very own disciples, Matthew, was a tax collector. And the Jews hated tax collectors. Yet Jesus chose him and other sinners over the Pharisees. So we'll read Matthew 9, 9 through 13. You don't have to turn there. I've got it here. 
As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the, ta- at the table in his house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So the Pharisees looked down on the tax collectors and sinners, right? It was a form of cancel culture. They were they they had canceled those people. They didn't want anything to do with them. Those 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 people were were over there and were were not to be dealt with, right? Yet Jesus reached out to them directly. He said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus drew in the outcast. Jesus drew in those outcasts by popular culture who needed to hear the good news of his coming. He went to the outcasts. Another example, the Samaritan woman at the well. This woman had been canceled as well. Look at the time she's there. She's there at noon. Nobody goes to draw water at noon. It's hot. You go in the morning, you go in the evening. You don't go when it's hot. You go at noon when you don't want to see anybody because nobody wants to talk to you. And you're outcast. And that's who she was. Her, her situation differed quite a bit from the accepted opinions of the day. She'd been married multiple times. She's living with a man that's not her husband then. She's a member of the Samaritan group. And they hated the Samaritans just like the tax collectors. Yet Jesus chose to go to her. And the results were what? It says that many of the Samaritans in the town believed because of Jesus' ministry to her. Jesus went to the outcasts among us. So in summary, instead of pushing those away with differing viewpoints like cancel culture does, we must seek out, just like Jesus did, those with different viewpoints to present the gospel. It is the sick that need the physician. We've got to ask ourselves then, if we know that that's what we're supposed to do, why don't we do it? Why don't we, why don't we go to the people who have different viewpoints? I mean, we, we, we do stick together kind of in our own little clique, and we don't, we don't push our boundaries very often. And why? And I, and I submit, and, and also to bring this full circle, it's often because we're still afraid of the first part where I started out. We're afraid we're going to be canceled. We're afraid that the people of the world are going to cancel us if we start going with people who have different viewpoints. Our sin nature causes us to desire the approval of the world, even though we know the world is wrong. I do it. I'm guilty. I'm sure all y'all are guilty of it, too. God knew this would be the inclination of our hearts, and he spoke about it in, through Peter in 1 Peter three fifteen through 17. And there he said, Now who is there to harm if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. 
having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Sounds an awful lot like God knew his church would be canceled for doing, for going to the others and, 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 and expressing his viewpoints, right? So we're assured to face criticism for the world as we engage with those with different viewpoints. However, what power do they have over us? So why do we give it to them? Why do we let them, why do we let them have that power over us? And how are we to react to push back from the world? We're to present the hope that is in us with gentleness and respect. That word again, Greg, gentleness, pops up a lot lately. So that's one. Contrast number two. Cancel, cancel culture commits hypocritical judgment. And you'll have to hang with me on this one just a little bit. This was, this was, this was by far the hardest one for me. So cancel culture relies on man's hypocritical, self-righteous judgment of another rather than right judgment by Christians based in the Christian understanding of sin. So let's talk about Matthew 7, 1 through 5. And we all know this passage. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So the warning here is against the hypocritical judgment with which the world judges. Not a complete prohibition against some level of discernment of sin that's given to Christians. And I'll, I'll expound on that. The world judges and cancels those it disagrees with without recognizing the sins of its own self. This is a self-righteous judgment of the perceived sins of others. This is evidenced by the anger with which it cancels others, but is also defined by the ever-changing truths it uses to judge. These changing truths prove the basis of judgment is not grounded in anything right by which to cast judgment. Right truth is by definition unchangeable, but is rather man's flawed understanding of truth apart from God. And this is the point. The end result of this is what we often see today, where the canceled viewpoint is the viewpoint that's right. And the socially accepted viewpoint is the viewpoint that's biblically wrong. Right? And that, that's, that, that's the hypocritical part. Not only that, that wrong is right and right is wrong, but again, back to that concept that it changes all the time. And if truth were truth, truth would be truth, and it wouldn't change. So it's hypocritical because it does continue to change. It's, it's not, it, that cannot be truth. It can't change. So then what is the right view of judgment from the Christian perspective? And I, I kind of hate that word judgment, and I tried, I tried all kinds of ways to get around it. So bear, bear with me with that, with that word just a little bit. But see verse number 5. Once the log is removed from your own eye, you can see clearly to take the speck out of the brother's eye. It doesn't say you're to ignore the speck that's in your brother's eye. It says you're to take care of the log in yours first. 
Translation. A Christian that has been delivered from his sin is enabled to identify the sin in his brother. Let me be clear what this is not. This is not the same ultimate judgment that's given to God like in 2 Thessalonians 1 that determines who and who is not worthy of the kingdom of God. That is not the way that I'm using judgment here at all. But the Christian does possess the unchangeable truth, and that's the point here, the unchangeable truth, that informs his judgment of others to see sin in both Christians as well as non-Christians. That's the work of the Holy Spirit within us. We're, we're enabled to, 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 see, to see that sin. So please don't misconstrue, misconstrue my statements here as I, I know there's numerous warnings throughout the Bible. We're, we're not to judge. We're not to judge. Yet, in, in a respect, we, we, we do judge, but not the way God judges. It's a, it's, a different, it's a different judgment. What I'm trying to confer is that when we confront the world and even other Christians regarding their sins, we're to do it from two perspectives. The first, that we are a sinner too. And the second, from a position of concern and love. And those, those, those two perspectives are different than the way the world approaches wrong. By first taking the log out of our own eye, we must deal with our own sin first. And through this dealing with our own sin and acknowledging its existence in our life, we can then and only then approach others to how humbly discuss sin not in the hypocritical way that the, that the world approaches it. So unlike those that practice cancel culture who deny their own sins, Christians must acknowledge and confront our own sin before we're able to confront others. And in confronting our own sin, we're able to share these experiences and address sin in a non-hypocritical way. So we, the way cancel culture and the way the world approaches us with, with its ever-changing truths, we, we, have, we have a different way to approach that. We can, we can go to the sinner and we can say, hey, I'm like you. I get it. I struggle with the same sins that you're struggling with. And, and, in, and in that way, have a, a, a much different conversation about things that are right and wrong versus the way the world handles it. And finally, contrast number three. One of the tenets of cancel culture is that those who are canceled are forever canceled. Modern cancel culture provides those that are canceled no means of redemption. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We talk about this changing truth, so as, as new truths come out, there's no statute of limitations in how far the world will look back in your past to find something you did wrong and hold you accountable for it. And that's not right, and it's not compatible with our with our Christian truths. So con contrast that to the gospel of Christ, and I think that's, that's where we'll go with this. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The forgiveness that cancel culture withholds is the foundation of the gospel message. There has to be a way to be forgiven. Rather than project condemnation as the world does through cancel culture, we have a message of love and forgiveness that's available to anyone that will confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's a big deal. 
We can proclaim that there is no sin that you've ever committed, no matter how bad or how long ago it was, that is beyond the scope of forgiveness in Christ. Further, we can also proclaim that when you stumble and sin again, and you will, I do, as we all do, Christ will not cancel you then either. So if you're here today and you've never considered the forgiveness of sin offered through Christ, I invite you to do so and to speak with one of us about how the forgiveness can be applied to your life. That's the biggest takeaway from the day is this concept of forgiveness. So one area in particular that the world misunderstands forgiveness is in church discipline. Church discipline is often one of the areas that's pointed to to say, see, the church cancels. They, they ostracize people. They push people out. And if we think back to some of the uh, examples that I listed earlier, some of those are around church discipline and, and mishandling thereof. It. So I think we have to admit that the church at large has misapplied church discipline in the past and how we've handled it. And we've handled it in a cancel culture type of way. But church discipline examined rightly is not an act of cancellation. Quite the opposite, in fact. So let's read through Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So where's the focus of this passage? It's not to exclude the brother, but to convince him to repent and rejoin the fellowship. That's the point. The escalation of discipline is not to cancel the brother, but to cause him to acknowledge his sin and therefore be drawn back to the body. Further, notice how the majority of the discipline is handled quietly. Not out in public. Not a public shaming, not a public ostracism of the person, but quietly to the extent that that'll work. That's, that's, that in itself is a contrast to cancel culture where you you proclaim as loud as you can you know, your grievance with this other person. Even at its extreme, when the sin is taken to the church at large, we don't ostracize the brother from the church. In fact, we welcome them to stay under the church's teaching in hopes they will still repent. Although we do withhold certain rights of membership, such as communion, we treat them as Jesus treated the Gentiles and the tax collectors. And if we go back and we look at well, how did he treat Matthew? He didn't treat the tax collectors, and, they, and Paul didn't treat the Gentiles as people who were to be ostracized. He treated them as people who needed to hear the gospel, right? So I told you guys I'd be quick, and I think I have been, but I want to I wrap up and just kind of recover a couple of the points. One, the church should be concerned about cancel culture and its effect on the church, but we need to be confident in knowing that the church has survived similar struggles in the past. It's not the first time we've dealt with it. It won't be the last. We need to make sure that the church looks different to the world than the rest of the world. We should be a contrast to popular cancel culture rather than a different version of it. 
And finally, if you're here today and feel the world has canceled you, please consider Christ. Please consider the forgiveness of sins belief in him can offer you today. Again, there's, there's several of the elders here today. Me, Scott, Jimmy are here. Come talk to somebody today if, if it's the first time that you've contemplated that. So with that said, I was quick, told you I would be. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, again, we, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity to come here and open your word. Father, um, Father we do pray that today we would, we would reflect on this and reflect on how the, how the church has, has, has looked in the past, Father, but, but, but more importantly, Father, how we, how we should look going forward. And, and Father, be concerned with, with, with reaching out to others and, and, Father, making your kingdom great and glorified, Father. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Row Inn YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.